The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome, everybody, to episode 38 of the Ascent of Board Games. I'm Brian. I'm here with Frank and Mike and Joe. Jason is unable to join us today, but we'll get through this without him. I mean, maybe we can get future Jason to come back and retroactively Ooh, add his parts in I here. like that. Let's make future Brian do a bunch of work. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. We have come together today to talk about time travel games, because time travel is cool. And while there are a lot of games which have time travel themes... There are relatively few that have actual sort of mechanics that play with time travel. And we want to talk about those because those are interesting. I think the one thing we've kind of learned in doing our research for this episode is that time travel is hard. Just from a, a design and writing standpoint, a lot of board games that we looked at used it more of like a setting or a thin veneer of time. Yeah. You know, Dinosaurs of the Lost World, yep, there's definitely time travel and we're not going to deal with it. Look, mm. dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the classic one of that is cheap-ass game called U.S. Patent Number 1, mm -hmm. which is a terrible little roll-and-move-and-collect-stuff game. But the concept is great because the first thing you do when you invent a time machine is go back to the U.S. Patent Office on the day it opens to make sure you're the first time machine patented. Yeah, because the only thing right. that matters is who gets to patent it first. Exactly. I mean, yeah. that seems self-evident to me. <laughs> I remember playing that game and thinking how great that theme was. Yes, shame there was. Don't a you good stop game off to it. kill Hitler? I don't think so. Oh, Not okay. on that one. I yeah. don't think. Normally, I think you're supposed to stop off and kill Hitler. I'm perennially, that is the thing that you do. That is a time travel tradition. Yes. Yeah. You give that a try. Take a whack at that. Yeah. So, Joe, I know you're a big fan of time travel yeah, as a concept. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of time travel and in, in functionally all forms of media. Back to the Future is probably one of my top favorite movies. Just like the ideas it had is, is so uh, evocative. And I've always sought out since then various time travel movies. Mm -hmm. Like I'm the, one of the few people I think in the universe who likes Primer. Oh my god. It's Primer's so good. Awesome. It's a so great good. movie if you can understand it. There's so a good. lot going so on. So good. I have a couple sheets of graph paper at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Have you seen Time Crimes? Yo, Time Crimes is great. Oh, I, I love Time Crimes. So time Crimes great. <laughs> I stumbled onto Time Crimes by accident oh, one dear. night going okay. through the, my Netflix list. And I was like, this looks fun. I'll watch a horror movie. And was blown away about it just how oh, awesome yeah. it was. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's clever. It. All right. I'm putting that on my list. Oh, yeah. Oh, Time Crimes is spectacular. It is one of the few time travel movies that has a stable time loop. It's so good. Ooh, so Joe, good. speaking of Primer, there was a weird box in the attic I stumbled across the other day. Do you know anything it. about that? Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mike, of course, has the recurring Time Travel Tuesday series on his Twitch stream at twitch.tv slash games. Yeah, come check it out. We're, we're playing games about time travel, and much like board games like... A lot of games just either have it as a mechanic or just a thin veneer of setting. Oddly enough, I still think that Prince of Persia has delved the deepest into the consequences of time travel. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's extremely short-term time travel. Yeah. Still. But, like, I think as a series that is of the ones we've played so far has really gone the farthest into the consequences of what time travel does to things. 
The first game in that remake series, the ending of that has always been one of my favorite game endings, Mm -hmm. just the way it all wraps around to the beginning. Of course, occasionally you'll find ones like Day of the Tentacle that really go deeply into transferring stuff back and forth between time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But but when they do that, and notably with Day of the Tentacle, does not give zero shits about the repercussions of of doing those things. That is very true. Uh, No butterfly effect there. And I take it back. Nine nine nine. Oh and dear. The, oh god. What is the rest of that series called? Zero Escape. Zero Escape. Thank you. That series has gone the furthest, not only through time travel, but also through like dimension hopping. Really good. And Groundhog Day kind of loops. And yeah, especially once it gets into the later half, where you face the realization that there are other you that are like dying, and you take their play, like fascinating but mike can you explain to me the ship of theseus i can in fact (laughs) it's oddly super important in that game (laughs) and so is titanic 2 the sequel to titanic you know that movie that never got created in this timeline watch out for ice nine mike it's gonna get you (laughs) do you mean all ice Only people have played that. Yeah, we're we're going way deep into the into the inside references here, folks. I just listened through an audio book of an interesting kind of time loop setup. It's called the Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. It's about this guy who wakes up on the outskirts of this English manor in like the 1920s, 1930s, and he doesn't really remember who he is, and he sees what he thinks is a murder, and he's going around exploring all this stuff, and then eventually he wakes up. And it's the start of the same day, but he's someone else. And eventually it turns out he has like seven days as seven different people figure out the murder. It really wanted to be a computer game, I think, but it's a pretty good book. The movie I saw like last week is called Boss Level on Hulu. It's a Hulu exclusive, so you pretty much have to go there. And it's basically Groundhog Day crossed with Smoke and Aces. Hmm. Basically this one guy who's got all these really bizarre, strange assassins that are out to kill him. Cool. But he's a badass, and he's been through the loop like a couple hundred times. Hmm. Interesting. It's hilarious, too. So, obviously, time travel's been a theme in almost every medium. Mm-hmm. But what about board games, y'all? What about board games, about indeed? Board games. Yeah, the first board game, time travel board game we're aware of that actually used time travel as a thing you do was back in the ancient past of 1980. Yeah, and... There might, there's probably some slightly earlier ones, but a game I had as a kid, played to death and still adore, is called Time Tripper. This is 1980 by Jim Dunnigan, published by Simulations Publications Incorporated, or SPI. In this, you play solo or as a co-op, I mean, early co-op too, which was called the Team Tripper rules, by the way. Uh, You basically play as Tim, a Vietnam-era guy in the war who is a radio man and takes LSD and then starts playing with his radio and soon creates this weird plasma column that envelops him and sends him back into the past. You heard it here, kids. The secret to time travel is LSD. (laughs) Don't do drugs, kids. Stay in school. (laughs) Thank you. And uh, he basically bops around between various past and future battles trying to survive. So basically, every little time jump, you're plopped onto a new grid with some terrain, some soldiers that are usually out to kill you because you're obviously the enemy. 
and you have to scrounge weapons and try to make it to your radio, tune the radio, get the flux to appear, and then hop in to go somewhere else. Hoping that the next leap will be the one that takes you home? Absolutely. You're going to run so dry on time travel references by the end of this episode. There's infinite supply, Mike. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much the game. And the game has like 60 scenarios. But you're pretty much having to scrounge for weapons always because you're like the rifle you start with and a couple grenades mm-hmm. run out really fast. So it's like you may have a six shooter you got from the old West and a Roman one handed Pilum and you're facing off, you know, a bunch of like 23rd century guys with laser pistols and running. Running is a good thing. <laughs> There's a lot of being overpowered and <laughs> having to run and hide is it like a fixed progression of scenarios is it like a branching seems a little early for a branching narrative actually what it is is a pair of multi-hex grids Mm -hmm. and you basically will roll and move randomly on this grid okay if you've managed to tune the flux well you can at least pick a direction but otherwise it's pretty much dropping you into another random scenario and the time travel thing is basically that you can have guns or weapons from a different time period in where you are correct as well as hopping around between the uh but yeah it most most of the play is actually on the right within so. within a given time frame it's just basically whatever you've brought with you correct and it's a hex encounter war game I and mean, we're talking about a blank hex grid a bunch of counters representing the various things that are pretty generic because 60 scenarios yeah and like looking at the maps it looks like you could just use one of these maps to play a hex based war game on yes oh yeah totally that's what it is more or less so. and yeah it was a pretty standard like spi period board game. wait that's not so joe's looking at a picture that has graphics which means he's looking at some kind of oh hyper Reissue? advanced with no i think it's a fan uh, it certainly may be a fan one trust me the original was like just plain bog standard hexes no <laughs> art <laughs> so if you're interested in time tripper and i know i am might be time to look at some of that fan stuff on the geek. Oh yeah, you can totally get print and plays. We'll put some. Oh, we'll put some links in there. Every time y'all say that title, all I can hear is just Beatles Day Tripper. <laughs> yeah, totally. The first one that I became aware of is a little bit more abstract, and it definitely starts dealing with more of the repercussions of time travel, albeit in a fairly simplified way. This is Timeline which was released in 1985 by Geo Games, designed by George Marino. It is an abstract strategy game that is done on a 4x4 grid of, like, checkerboards, basically. So you have the individual 4x4 boards for two dimensions, then there's each stacked up, so you have three dimensions, and then the columns are each labeled Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So you're traveling through time. It's a two-player game. Each player has basically two rooks and two bishops, i.e., Two pieces that can move diagonally and two that can move orthogonally. And each piece, as it moves, leaves a little trail of these paper chits behind it. And so you can move through all four dimensions, including time, as you're going around. And if you capture a piece, if you, like, land on any space that a piece has been on, you capture it at this point, and everything else it has done since then is undone. Like, if I go back to Monday and I capture your bishop... All the things it has done in the future, including any other captures it has made, are undone. Huh. Weird. Yes. And the, the, the looks <laughs> I'm getting on the face is pretty much sums this up. I'm not saying it's a good game. I mean, it was clearly handmade. The board is clearly, you know, simple and all the, the labels are hand-drawn and everything. 
The components are pretty simple wood and a lot of little paper chits. But it's just conceptually interesting because I think this is the first game, certainly the first one we know of, where you are basically able to change the past. Yeah. Looking at this game, it reminds me of a computer game that came out recently called 5D Chess with Time Travel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you do a move, it creates a future. But then in lieu of doing a move on that future, you could go back to a previous state of the game, do a different move, which then creates a branching alternate state of the board. And it's like within your turn, you can choose any of the current timelines or any of the past states and create branching paths of your chess game. And if you win on any one of them, you win the game. Huh? Yeah. But it does have that same case. I go back to an earlier state in the game and prevent you from taking that piece. It now creates a different state of that game. Now, obviously since this is a computer game, it can track both of those things at the same time. Whereas it doesn't seem like it'd be possible to do that here. Yeah. These are playable by actual humans? Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, God, no. Yeah, I think I saw you streaming that at one point, and uh, I was just like, that is certainly in theory a game. Like, so 5D chess with time travel requires you to A, be good at chess, <laughs> B, understand the consequences of time travel, which, you know. Yeah, it's a small Venn diagram. No one really understands the consequences of time travel, Mike. Really. No, no one really understands chess. I mean, <laughs> I think some people might. Some people might. Uh, no, Joe. I watched a documentary on Netflix. Like it, is, Gambit? it is purely <laughs> drugs and alcohol all the way down. So, Brian, I think Frank's question still stands here. Is Timeline actually playable by human beings? I think so. I mean, I don't know how much brain power it would take to be good at it. I feel like you could certainly make moves that would result in a complete game, but I don't (laughs) think the strategy of it is readily comprehensible. Right. I mean, I'm even just thinking from like having to go back and undo all the things that would have been done by that. While you leave a paper trail. That still feels incredibly fiddly and not fun. Oh, God. It is certainly fiddly. He's not arguing it's (laughs) fun. That's not the argument he's making. I'm saying it is a playable game. (laughs) Unlike those from last month. To be fair, you didn't say, is this fun? You said, (laughs) is this playable? Very different question. There are many games that are playable and not fun. Yes, there are games you can play but should not. This may be one. I don't know. Is anybody else having some deja vu? I feel like we've done this before. On to games that are playable and sort of fun. 1992, Tom Lehman, if you know that name, from uh, Race for the Galaxy and uh, Favor for the Pharaoh, Res Arcana. He's done a lot of games and fast food franchise. And Prism Games, Prism and Tim Jim Games were a somewhat related company. They came out with a lot of pretty amazing games during the early 90s. Avalon Hill was kind of imploding and doing stuff like Global Survival. (laughs) And so we got, you know, some small companies crop up doing kind of interesting Euro-y games. Time Agent is bizarre. You get the cone of time, a representation of time that looks like 93 spaces and a cone where, you know, there's one past gradually branching out to a big hex cone of hex tiles on hex spaces. These all go face down at the start of the game, representing that 
time connects to all of its things. At the bottom of this insanity is a whole bunch of technologies and important events and things, as well as on the tiles are important events. You play one of six races that wants stuff to turn out how it turns out. When you look at the front of these hex tiles, there are two different colored trails coming off of each of these, and they represent basically if something at the top connects to the bottom, that thing exists in the present. The most important one in the center is the invention of the time machine. When that is broken for any reason, the game ends. Because sure, sure. <laughs> you can no longer sustain your time empire without yeah. time machines. But also certain inventions at the bottom are important to certain species because that gives them resources. There are also events in the grid itself that are important to species that represent both uh, resources and victory points. So what does a player action look like in this game? Because the board <laughs> looks like nonsense. The board looks totally like nonsense with all those threads. What you do is you have up to three time machines. You send an agent or a squad back to the past. The cost in resources depends on how far back you're going. And you explore and turn up a tile. And you can rotate the tile. And you can attack each other. Thus creating new branching paths. Thus creating, yeah, new branches and changing the paths. The things you reveal give you resources, which gives you money to build new time machines and be able to support more agents in the past. You can only ever have up to three teams or agents working in the past. It costs a lot to send them back, as well as some to hire and train them. So, you know, if you kill off someone else's team, like way far in the past, it's going to cost them a fortune to get another team trained and all the way back in the past or take a lot of time because they're going to have to go somewhere recent and start working their way back to the past. And so basically you're turning hexes, adjusting the victory point and resource gains by each of the groups. And then cutting off the invention of the time machine to end the game. And there could be multiple people working toward this. It's actually a pretty simple game. Only about four to six pages of rules. I pretty much described the entire game. There's no other like event cards or real fluff there. Except the hard part is that the board itself is just... I. Right. what the hell's going on is uh, you heard some giggling in the background. Yeah, it's very difficult to read, let's say. Oh, it's freaking <laughs> I, uh, impossible to read. I do have a bone to pick with these guys. They call this the cone of time. It is clearly a pentagon of time. Like <laughs> It's not even three-dimensional, y'all. Come on. I'm looking through the pictures on the geek of the various player races. Mm-hmm. You have what look like bipedal weasels, bipedal armadillos, star vampires, and humans. Kangaroos. They're the ruse. The ruse. Yeah, sorry. But basically, it has like two or three paragraphs of their racial history that also tells you along the way what events they need to have made happen. But not directly. Indirectly. You have to kind of puzzle it out. I love it. I love it. It's so 80s. Yes, it very (laughs) much is. I do like the art in the game. Looks like it was ripped straight from the early D&D monster manuals. Or some cosmic encounter, but yeah, it has that line art look. There's also some asymmetry in that the different groups do play differently. One of them starts with all three time machines in play, which means you can potentially have three different groups in the past, assuming you can actually pay for all that. But again, mostly it's sending your agents back, turning the things, and that's it. I'd play it. It looks like fun. So it's basically a fairly abstract strategy game with a huge pile of time travel theme on top. Uh... Yeah, except that it gave you the timeline thing. Right. Because every invention that gives you resources, mm-hmm. as well as the creation of time, is tied back to that. And so you're having to trace all those visual timelines mm-hmm. to know if something exists or not. And they do have game effects. Yeah, visually, I'd say this game is a mess. I think it could definitely do with a modern re-envisioning, especially yeah. in the graphic 
design or department. a computer version. The Cone of Time, I think, influenced yeah. at least one game. We'll be talking I can about think later. of at least two. But yeah, the game's about three hours long, which is a little too long for what's there. But it's really interesting. It seems like a game like this is just ripe for a modern reinvention. Tom's on the roll race for the galaxy thing and mm-hmm. Res Arcana, man, that's a good game. So I think he's going for much more simple, more Euro-y games. So I doubt yeah. he'll revisit it. It's another one of those games that I think I would really conceptually enjoy, but the actual course of play might not be as cool as it sounds like. Yeah, there's a lot of these older games that would leave for ideas, but I don't know. Yeah, it's like some of the components in this really are giving me a strong Castle of Magic vibe. <laughs> no, a little bit. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. Those three-quarter-inch Coplo clear chips. Classic. They're ubiquitous, and they were in all the Prism games, so they're... So how about a simpler way to manipulate the timeline, Joe? Talking about games where you as a player have an individual goal that you need a shared timeline to reach, but maybe less complicated, let's talk about Chronauts, released by Looney Labs in 2000, developed by Andrew Looney himself. Chronauts is, you set up on the board a series of cards, and each of these cards is a specific event, like World War II or... The murder of John Lennon. The only one I actually have is American History Chrononauts, which is like, you know, the Battle of Lexington and the assassination of Lincoln. Yeah, after this game reached a bit of popularity, they actually did quite a few variants, which we'll be talking about. So each of you, at the start of the game, you were assigned a role, and your role has a very specific goal. Like, hey, maybe you're space cockroaches, and your goal (laughs) is for Earth to end in in a nuclear war, which is one option, right? Like, one of the the locations when flipped. And so, functionally, what the game has is, all these cards are either light blue or dark blue. The light blue aren't flippable cards, but the dark blues are what they call linchpins. And you can play cards to flip those over. And when you flip a linchpin over, it will say, hey, if you flip this thing over, also flip these three additional cards. Right. You're changing the timeline as you go. You want to get the timeline into a specific state. And I think in the original Chrononauts, once you got it into that state, you won. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. In some future versions, there's like one additional thing to do. There's at least one additional version I remember very distinctly where it's like you draw from a deck once you got it there mm-hmm. and you'd either, hey, we need to keep going or no, no, it's I We're, have one. we've locked it down. Yeah. On your turn, you draw a card and then you have a hand of cards and the cards are things like restore history, which is flip a linchpin back to its correct side. Or prevent an assassination, which is either flip it to a normal side or an inverted side based on whether it's preventing an assassination, right? right? So, like, the way you manipulate the game is kind of driven by these cards. And, like, I think the cards, in a lot of ways, are really clever. Mm -hmm. They're not just, like, on your turn, you take an action. No, no, no. It's in this card. You, like, look at, like, okay, I need to prevent an assassination. What of these? How can I make that that be helpful to me? It's a cute little game. I think this was probably one of the first time travel games I played, right? I remember it very fondly. Everything's really silly and very light. Not unusual from Looney Labs in general. But, like, it's a really clever game. It makes really good use of 
the time travel mechanic, and it really does feel like you are going about messing in time. Yeah. And the linchpins you flip over and kind of what they pertain to make a lot of sense. It's a definitely a labor of love kind of reaching the, hey, I think this is the way this should be set up, which I really enjoy. Yeah, it's a really great filler game. It's easy to teach. It's easy to understand. doesn't outstay its welcome, and it's a lot of fun and thematically consistent. There's a whole set of those. There's the original Chrononauts. There's American History. There's Mike's beloved Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Because how could we honestly do this list without at least mentioning that movie? Yeah, it turns out that there are a number of Back to the Future games, vanishingly few of which actually use time travel in any meaningful way. Yeah, it's real weird. It seems to be a requirement, but no, no. Again, the perfect example of a game that uses time travel as a setting rather than a mechanic or a core component of the game. Yep. Now you're in the past. Make sure your parents fall in love. And I think the thing that Chrononauts did really well is each of the characters that you play as, they only need like three things to be set in order to accomplish their goals. And because of that, some of the things are abstracted in Chrononauts. The space cockroaches, for example, need the nuclear death of the Earth, but they really don't care if Sputnik landed on Mars. So they might not interact with that at all other than to stop somebody else from winning, which I do think this game ended up with a little bit of the get the person who's in the lead. Although I don't think, and it's been a long time, I don't know if your goals are public knowledge. Maybe not. I don't think they are. I think you're secretly trying to achieve a certain combination of things. You might end up in a fight with someone around a specific time point. Right. And like with enough players, you do get some of that, which honestly makes the game fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm 99% sure that your mission is secret, right? Who you are is secret. Mm -hmm. Because I remember like the reveal at the end of like, haha, I was a space cockroaches. I wanted nuclear death. Uh But I think enough of the events have tiebacks to other events that it makes the interaction between the players interesting yeah it's like one of those puzzles where you know when you flip a tile all the other tiles in the same row and column flip over and you have to do the right things in the right order and then you've got other people messing with you Mm -hmm. and then like brian said they've released a bunch of different specific times in future expansions and there are a couple people who've put them all together and it looks as bonkers as the oh god that seems like a horrible idea (laughs) One other thing I will say about this game is that the packaging was terrible. It came in a rectangular prism of a box that opened on one end, and uh, as soon as you took it out, collapsed in upon itself like some sort of black hole, and then you could just never get the cards back into it. I mean, who needs a box? I remember carrying this around in a plastic baggie because it was just easier than getting them back into the box. I want to go play Chrononauts. Yeah, it's seriously. A, it's a great game. It's a fun I mean, game. Like, it's a light game. It's not going to change anyone's life, but it is It is fun. No, except Abraham Lincoln. Except Abraham Lincoln, because you can save him and it's great. But like, it's 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 a very light and it's, it's a lot of fun and the mechanics are enjoyable. Yeah, and it feels thematically right. I mean, yeah. yeah. And I think it captures the same feeling that Time Agents was going for in a much pared down manner. Yeah, I think it's probably the most minimalist you could make a time travel one go mm-hmm. except well temporum is kind of close we'll talk about that in a little bit so next up would be the um well this game was saved saved by just the fact that we were having an upcoming 
time travel episode from being one of the games we talked about in our Games You Should Not Play oh. episode. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm going to describe this one and just kind of chime in when you see where the rules have gone wrong. And again, that could probably be said for a couple of these yes, games. That's true. Uh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, good point. So anyway, Time Controls 2003 by Thompson Industries, designed by Rob Arnault and Anthony Thompson, and could be found during the early 2000s lurking in the $1 and $2 bins of any game store. This actually looks so good. So what you've got is uh, everyone gets a board in front of them that represents today, yesterday, last week, last month, last year, various time bands, about seven of them, and prehistory eventually at the bottom of that. And then you've got some time agents, yay, (laughs) and then uh, some cards and some dual tokens that you use to fight each other. The real object here is your time agents are busy or active. To indicate when you've used them on a turn, you flip them over to busy so you can't use them again. So what you're doing is you can send agents back in your own timeline. And then at one point, you can basically send the agent over to the same spot in somebody else's timeline and uh, then attack them. What you do is you change something and send forward waves, counters that then start marching up their timeline toward today. And if it hits today... They have to draw this flux card, which can really screw with them and eventually take them out of the game. And you can basically fight them, fight their agents or attack the waves to try to fix things before the wave itself hits current. You have duels and the duels are represented by turning up basically you know, counters. If you've already taken your action, you're at half and you get a few modifiers to that. And the highest one basically wins. And the other one gener- has to draw a card that may bought them back to their timeline, or send them all the way back to their base in today. I don't think you actually die in this until your base is wiped out. Okay, I see the problem, Frank. Everybody knows player elimination is never fun. That's no. it, right? That's the only <laughs> issue. <laughs> okay. No. So, you can basically interrupt any action to say, oh, but before you did that, I went back to your past and did this. So anytime anyone says they're going to take an action, you can basically say, I want to interrupt that and do this and this before you do that. But I want to interrupt your interrupt. No, no, no. Uh, Wait, I want to interrupt your interrupt. I want to interrupt both of your interrupts. Oh, but I'll interrupt that. Yeah, that sounds horrible. (laughs) You can at one point declare time control, which lets you do one action without any interrupts. I declare time control and you get one action that you can do without interrupts i don't know who you fight if multiple people want to interrupt you or the rules start to break down at that Uh point when was this game made 2003 i i feel like magic the gathering solved that problem with the stack which you know had its own issues but they later did away with because it was so complicated (laughs) yeah i think eventually it was just you can't interrupt and interrupt suck it right pretty much (laughs) Yeah, but uh, in this game, the interrupts flow fast and furious, and then time control led to more duels, which led to other duels as anyone tries to do anything. They basically have to declare time control, meaning you do duels unless you're just going to suck up all the interrupts, and then who's interrupting for which, and... So what you're telling me is that this game about time travel has gotten out of control somehow? Yeah, it's... yeah. It's giving me some weird flashbacks to a particular game of Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> if anything's going on that makes me unhappy, I'm declaring a coup. 
Oh no! Yeah, and so the duels get tedious. I mean, the first couple of duels are kind of cute, and you get an idea that there could be a game. And I like the idea of the waves and some of the effects and everything. Yeah, it's one of those games you mine for ideas, and then don't do the interrupt. And yeah, just or don't or go have there. it you know require it to cost you points or resources of some kind. Yeah, mm. we tried to play it, and we made it through. I don't think we made it through full round. As soon as the interrupt wave started, it's like, no, 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 no. I think that one actually I didn't sell, but destroyed it (laughs) for the good of the world. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. No, that's that's legit. Did you purify it in fire? Uh, Yeah. Went to the burn barrel. Is anybody else having some deja vu? I feel like we've done this before. And then uh, I think we have another one for Frank here. So Kronos is a game that I don't particularly like. <laughs> Hooray! Yay! Off to a strong start on this one. We were hoping to have Jason here to talk about this one. If you like it, the game is actually pretty good. 2006 by Matigo, uh, Arnold Urban, and Ludovic Viala. This is a trippy little tile laying game. Basically, you have three ages, and you're doing a thing where you're building buildings. There are three types of buildings, military, civil, and urban. Religious, I think. Religious, yeah, you're right. And you're plopping them down the board, and there are three different sizes. And there are a lot of rules on groups of the same type of building. I think you only have one of each type in a group. And then when you merge groups, that causes things to happen. A little Tigris Euphrates advanced going on here. Also, you move your two workers, your master and apprentice, between these three time periods. So when you build something in the oldest time period, that building still exists in the middle time period. So you just plop that tile down there, but it exists as a ruin that you can't build on in future time periods in the, or in the current time period, uh, in the third time period. And so anytime you build, and if you build in the second time period, that building still exists in the third time period. So when you build your building in all three spots at the at the same time, potentially, sure. or overriding what's the previous past of what some building was, and you're scoring on all three time periods. Fun fact about the Master and Apprentice in this game, they're the same person. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's actually true, but if not, it feels like it certainly should be. Yeah. yeah, totally. Or the Apprentice is the Master's father. It's emotionally true. That's yes, all that exactly. matters. Right. The game's driven by construction cards that kind of limit what you can do, and you're having to get those and make sure you have the right ones to match a building. Then you start getting to a lot of detailed rules for priority, and there's an occupational rule where military gets preference for certain spots. Sure. The big part of the game that turned me off was there are a lot of seemingly like arbitrary building rules for what could go where, and they weren't intuitive. Mm-hmm. Although I love the idea of building and yeah. having it spread in the future. I mean, that's just historical zoning regulation law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, time travel zoning. Yeah. The game actually definitely has its fans a little dry just because, you know, there's not. It's a very Euro dry game. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot going on. It's clever. It just didn't do it for me. That's fair. So one of those you might look into if the, the thing appeals to you. It's pretty cheap because it basically people run hot and cold on it. <laughs> Yeah, there's no lukewarm. Okay, Mike, get us out of this dry spell. Let's talk about a game that really 
is the opposite problem of what we've previously talked about, where the only way you're going to know how to play this game is just by sitting down and playing it, because the rulebook is nonsense. Nigh, nigh impenetrable. No one yeah. can be told what Tragedy Looper is. You have to experience it for yourself. So Tragedy Looper came out in 2011, and this was from Bacafire Party and was designed by Bacafire. And is a time travel game themed as a Japanese anime, which actually surprisingly works pretty well. <laughs> this I remember coming out right around the same times as Shadowhunter and is anime in the same way that Shadowhunters is anime. Mm. It is just a thin veneer. Is Tragedy Looper legible in ways that Shadowhunter is not? I can't say <laughs> yes, okay. because they do have some interesting choice on fonts. But like, if anybody's ever played the Zero Escape series that we were talking about earlier, or Danganronpa, it has a very similar feel to those games. Basically, when you play Tragedy Looper, you are going to be doing a three-player versus one. Playing with three protagonists, I think, is the optimal, because if you're playing with less than three protagonists, you just have a player who is playing two characters and double-handing it. When you play, you're setting up a story, which the game comes with some number of stories. Tinnish, yeah. Yeah. And each story has a card that both the storyteller gets, the mastermind, I believe they're called, and what the protagonist get. And that protagonist card will just have a list of knights and the events that occur on those knights, such as murder or suicide. The mastermind gets a full play out of what's going on, so they've got full knowledge about what they need to do to prevent the protagonist from winning. And they do that by basically not allowing the protagonists to get the information they need to either avoid the undesired future, which usually is preventing some character from dying, or by guessing what the role of each character in the story has taken. The stories are set up by placing out four boards into a rectangle, placing characters on those boards, and then play proceeds in a kind of actually pretty simplistic card game where each of the protagonists has a hand of cards, the mastermind has a hand of cards, you can put one of your cards onto a character in a round robin style, you cannot double down on protagonist cards or mastermind cards on a single character, but a character can have one of each. And then you resolve those actions one at a time. So that could be like the protagonist plays a move up. But the interesting thing about movement is that it combines with any cards that the mastermind played. So if the mastermind said move up and the protagonist said move right, that character is going diagonally. You also have a number of resources that can be placed on the characters, such as paranoia, which is a threshold that needs to be met by the mastermind in order for certain events to occur. Each of the characters has a power that you can activate by getting a number of goodwill. And those powers will usually generate some function that will give the players information. And so you basically go round after round doing this until either everybody's dead or the loop is ended. And then the entire time this is happening, players are furiously scribbling down notes about cause and effect, in essence. You start out knowing nothing. It's like you move a couple characters around and then the antagonist just says, okay, the loop ends. And we don't know why. 
Is it because the schoolgirl was in the same room as the postman at the end of the turn? Maybe. We don't know. And even more common than that, there's a point at which the mastermind will check to see if an event occurs. So on night two, if there's a murder, the mastermind will look at the board, and if the information matches what he's been told, they're going to say, the schoolgirl has died. Mm -hmm. You don't know why. Yes. You don't know what caused it. But you do know that when the schoolgirl was at the school with the postman on night two, she died. So in so future maybe tragedy, don't do that. <laughs> in future loops, you might not want that. The game is actually relatively simple to play <laughs> from a mechanical standpoint. I think the biggest issue that it suffers is that when you set up the game to play, the protagonists have zero information. And a lot of options like an overwhelming number yeah, there's like what six or eight different characters there's like six and eight different characters there's six or eight different jobs like each character could have one job and then in later stories there are side stories that are happening that are just not at all related so like in one of them you're trying to stop this girl from suiciding, but at the same time, there is a serial killer going around. So if the serial killer kills her, then she ends up dead anyway, you still fail. This is always a Groundhog Day style loop. I don't think you mentioned that. It is. It and is. so you go through the loop often three or four times safely, sometimes less, picking up more information, hopefully with the loop going longer each time. Yeah, again, this is a game all about trying to puzzle out cause and effect. I really like it. I really want to play it more or at all. But the rule book is nonsense. Like it functionally does tell you everything you need to know to play the game. It doesn't help. Yeah, it's one of those where you want to trot around like a copy at game convention or something going, someone please teach me. Yeah. Because, you know, it's easy it enough not to teach, but game. man, yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly how I learned how to play it. Same here. And the person who is teaching the game should almost always play the mastermind because that yeah, mastermind is yeah. a dungeon master. I think for some of the early games, the goal is not to win as the mastermind, but to deliver a good experience right. so Dole that these information. people, A, know how to play the game, and B, want to play it more. Right. And of course, once you've played as a protagonist, you can then play the mastermind mm -hmm. infinite number of times for each. Yeah, unfortunately, the the stories that it come with don't have a lot of replayability because once you know who is who, it doesn't do change. Thing. But there's an expansion. There are many, many expansions to this game. So I imagine and there's a lot of fan right stuff. for yeah. fan-created oh, yeah. stories. Well, like, you could make your own, right? Like, it has rules on doing that. It's just, it requires you to think really hard. Yeah, I mean... Ugh. It reminds me a lot of doing the logic puzzles where you've got four variables mm -hmm. that you need to match up with four different variables using clues. It reminds me of solving one of those. See, I like those. I do too. But again, it makes for a extremely difficult teaching this game to other human beings experience. Another game that we just kind of happened to stumble across at... I think this was our local secret board gaming con, mm -hmm. is Temporum. This game was made in 2014 and was put out by Rio Grande Games and actually made by Donald X. Vaccarino, who... Of Dominion fame. Yeah. And this game has a board that looks like somebody took Time Agent's board and just said, what if, what if it were less? Because <laughs> it's functionally the same thing. You've got one kind of prehistory that leads into two 
futures, then each of those lead into two futures, and then each of those leads into a present. It's a time tree, basically. Yeah. And in between each of the time zones is a clock's pendulum that can point to one of the two branching timelines. And when you change one of them, it changes all future timelines there's always a continuous line going right. from our line one, line two, line three, line four. And that is reality. Right. And you are playing for time dominance. This game is way less concerned about how time travel actually works or paradoxes or anything like that. But on your turn, you can move through the time stream going to either a past or future or staying where you are. You can only travel within the actual timeline. So where those pendulums form a contiguous line. You cannot be outside reality. Right. And then after you move, I believe you can change time. It's actually really important because there's an order to doing the action on the location you're at Mm -hmm. versus changing time. And I don't remember which one comes first. Luckily, we're not teaching you the game. Never take rules information from us, folks. Mm -mm. If you haven't learned that by now. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, each of the locations has a power that you can use to get more cards, which will let you affect more things on the board or get more dominance. And then you can change history by swinging the pendulum of the location you were on left or right. It's basically a territory control game through time that has constantly shifting mechanics and is surprise. Like, we were not expecting this game to be as much fun as it was. Highly recommend it. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the times are all cards, so there's like a bunch of different possibilities that may show up in any given game for each of the time periods. It's sort of like Dominion, based on the card pool you have, will sort of determine how the game plays. Ultimately, your goal is to get enough time people, time points, whatever, in a majority of the time periods, I think. There is a sidebar to the board that has your dominance tokens in it Mm -hmm. the cards and powers on the locations allow you to move those dominance tokens through time but you only dominate the ones where you have the most tokens if that doing a terrible job of words are hard it was just a fascinating territory control game the time travel isn't other than you know the changing of the timeline it's not really a strong thing. You're not really changing the past. You're just sort of forcing people out of certain locations, but it's entertaining. And the, the cards are all, especially the future ones, there's the atomic wasteland and there's the future where mankind is ruled by cats, my personal favorite. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's fun. But yeah, the standard Donless Vaccarino is those cards make the game because it'd be a simple kind of okay, predictable game if you were just playing the same actions with the same cards. But there's so many variable sets of cards that every time you sit down at the game, you're going, oh, wait, how does this work? Yeah, how am I going to... Yeah, so on. winning is getting 10 crowns into the bottom timeline. Once you have 10 crowns in the bottom timeline, you are the winner. Right, okay. because you have dominated the future. Indeed. Good job. And isn't that what everyone wants? Ultimately, you know, Functionally. So, Mike, because this bothered you so much, it's change history, move, visit a place, check for victory. Right. And when you change history, it moves all of the other players in a future time zone than you to the new reality. Yeah, if you're no longer in a valid place, then the world changes around you and you're now over here. Which could be extremely rude and uh, does give this game a bit of a time... Time vortex? Time vortex problem. Ironically, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, you cannot guarantee where you will be. Mm -hmm. 
another fun, relatively light one. It takes, what, like 45 minutes? Yeah, it's not very long. It doesn't outstay its welcome. There is a slow progress towards the end of this game that is very visible with the score tracker on the side of the board. There are lots of cards. There's a lot of replayability. It's just Mm -hmm. a cute little game. Tell us about one of your favorite games, Joe. One of my favorite. Okay, I guess I can. You have before stated that. I do know. I, I 100% agree with my child. doesn't like games. I hate games. I'm against him. So let's talk about Time Stories, released in 2015 by Space Cowboys, developed by Peggy Chassinet and Manuel Rosie. Nailed it. In Time Stories, you are members of a time agency, and you're set to go stop, in essence, breaches in the timeline. And the game is, you're in essence investigating a mystery, right? So the game comes with a bunch of locations and you you kind of array the locations out. And they're these beautifully painted cards, which kind of lay out a scene. And there's a card that you read that kind of describes like, you're in the drawing room and you see the sun is streaming it. Like they have some nice fluff text. You see a man reading a newspaper and you see a man playing at a chessboard and you see a woman playing a piano and you see a picture on the wall. You can kind of see them. Each of those are individual cards in this card array. And then everyone, all the other players, you guys are all playing together. It's a purely co-op game. And you can be like, oh, I'm really good at talking. So I'm going to go talk to the person playing the piano. And it's like, oh, I'm really good at fighting. And uh, that guy at the front door looks really tough. So I'm going to go see if (laughs) You fight him, and then surely enough, everyone will make the wrong decision. Right. And the piano person will re- screech and attack you, and the guy at the front <laughs> door will be like, hey, let's chat. And you're like, ah! So the way time travel comes in um, is you have a set amount of time to get through the scenario, and once that time runs out, you start again. Some things you get during the course of the game will stay. They'll have a very specific symbol indicating, hey, you keep this through loops. And those are mostly information. Yeah. Things, yeah. But most of the things you collect, you don't get to keep. All the equipment, all the items, people you've met, stuff like that. You don't get to keep those. And so when you reset, resetting is a lot, generally. But you have all the information, right? Like, hopefully you've been taking very careful notes. Of like, yeah. oh, hey, if we go to location A and if we have item 7, which we know is a key because we got it two rooms later... That, you know, you can use it to open this thing. So maybe we should go get the key and check what's in that thing. And don't talk to the lady at the piano because she's an asshole. don't talk to the lady at the piano she's an asshole. <laughs> right? Like, it's like it, you get to create this very interesting loop through the game as you try to figure out, like, where is all the various pieces and how do I achieve this specific victory, which is almost always, like, stop some time thing that's going on. The game is very Cthulian horror in a lot of ways. The dangers are very time out of space. And in almost every scenario, right, you're dealing with things that are mysterious and a lot of a horror vibe to it in general as a game. One of the things I really like about it is that each individual case and basically you get the base game and then there are a lot of individual cases and they're all very different. And I mean, I will say that the level of enjoyment from them is sometimes a little variable. Also very different. But yeah, exactly. The skills you have are different. The rules and interaction with the world happen are different. Sometimes you can change characters in mid-adventure. New mechanics will come in just mm-hmm. by surprise. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. hey, here's a whole new thing that you're going to do now, which you had no idea. Like, oh, this is now a different game. Yeah. There's also sort of a meta plot going on through the entire first series, which is interesting, although not really resolved. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they kind of they lost the plot on that a little bit by the end of the first series. 
I do agree that like the mechanics are of varying degrees of enjoyment, but I always really appreciate how they try. Like it feels like every game they're like, let's try to think of a different way to surprise the players. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think they do a really good job at that, if nothing else, right? Whether it's fun or not, different discussion. But I always think they do a very good job of kind of doing something and having it be unique for that specific scenario. So I enjoyed the heck out of that game. It has a lot of flashes of brilliance, which much mm-hmm. boy more than like lots of other games I've played. It just got so many little flashes of brilliance. And I would say that most of the cases are you go back to the period and just do the things, but you get to replay them, learning each time. But then sometimes they break that, and sometimes it's like what a curve the? Ball. It's like <laughs> I was not prepared for that. <laughs> I think this game does one of my favorite and least favorite things in board game. Well, in games in general. First off, like Joe was saying, the artwork. Anytime cards make a panorama in a game, I'm just like, this is great. The artwork in the game is gorgeous. The yeah. the artist it's, it's so very nice. different for each series. Yes. The styles and sometimes. The art on the card is actually important to solving the mystery, which I think is always really fun, although they do have varying degrees of success on some of those. However, like Joe was saying, I think one of my least favorite things about this game is that you're basically just taking shots in the dark at what each of the individual cards at a location are. Because like you said, you can draw some context clues from the description, but even those are intentionally misleading sometimes, where it's like, hey, look at this woman at the piano that has absolutely no reason to fight us, and yet, oh look, I'm now fighting a thing. Mm. That seems random and unnecessary at times. Did you ever play any of the Choose Your Own Adventure books? Or? I mean, yes. Arbitrary death is a hallmark of the genre. Again, I get it. It doesn't make That's it why there's second and third plays. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait. Don't do yeah, that. I mean, look, luckily, <laughs> because of the, the multiple plays, it is annoying when you first encounter it, but later you were then rewarded for doing the exploration. Yeah. Because you're like, hey, hey, we're not going to go talk to that person. We don't time. need to go there. That's yeah. not. Or you're like, hey, let's go fight that woman. The thing she gave us is really good. We're going to need over here. This <laughs> purple gemstone. That's really intriguing. Let's go fight her and let's get that Let's all go again. gang up on that woman. <laughs> right. Let's go, let's go punch her in the face. Uh, I really want that gemstone. It's intriguing. But there might be another way to get it. Right. There are so many. Yeah. And they'll do things like sometimes you will get occasional effects as part of the meta plot that are just saying, keep this card after the game. Your character, whoever you're playing at what future scenario, is really interested in things that are bright blue or Mm -hmm. to to choose a non-spoilery example. And it's just like, uh, apparently there's a meta plot going on and I don't understand it yet. As much as I enjoyed when we got that, we as a group did not get all of them and the intent was you would go back and play through again to get them all but mm-hmm. like who who's yeah, got that kind yeah, of time? so i have i do have, i do have one complaint about the meta plot which is that so the meta plot at the very very end the meta plot involves collecting items in each of the games and in one of the games there are two of them in two separate paths so that means you were required to play it twice and I felt like that was a little weird. Yeah. And that only happens in one game. There are two of them in the same game down two different paths. And I think that decision was a bad decision because it is nice to think that like there is like a single contiguous playthrough to get all these things. And like I do like the idea of like you get to the end and you're like, oh, we need to go find these things. And you go back and play a couple of the games again. Right. Because you are time travelers, right? 
I think the new season is going to deal with that a little bit more specifically. That still sounds like you're playing Silent Hill 3 just to get to the dog ending. Right. <laughs> but I think Not going back to what Joe was saying earlier, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Joe, I think what you actually like about this is that with every release, they show that they have learned something yeah, from their 100%. previous experience. No, 100%. 100%. The thing that has kept me going is every time you play... There's something surprising and there's something that shows that they're learning from the feedback that they're getting about the game, which is, I think, really important. My biggest complaint about that is their release schedule because of that is kind of slow, mm-hmm. right? Like They've what, got three out in the Blue Series Yeah, now? they got three out in the Blue Series and it's, I mean, to be fair, board games are right now totally Everything up. is screwed up. Right, everything's screwed up. But generally, they would release a couple a year. And when we were doing uh, the White Series, when they came out, it would be an event. And I would imagine Mm -hmm. it'll be the same for the Blue Series. But, like, there is a lot of waiting there, right? Good news for all of our listeners. The entire White Series is out, and I would argue totally excellent, right? If you have a gaming group of four people who want to have a generally unique experience, I would highly recommend playing through Time Stories. And there are rough edges, and there are fiddly bits, and there are translations that are hyper questionable yeah it's a french company and their english is not always as clear as they would like it. you can usually figure out what they meant but sometimes it takes a couple tries but all in all i think the experience is some total is a great experience it was an amazing gaming experience in totality it's what eight plus the base set i think in yeah, the white well, series it's eight and wow okay yeah Again, a little bit of variability in quality, but overall, well worth uh, well worth. Yeah, I don't. I don't think any of them are like I hated this. Some of them are like I was a little annoyed by this mechanic. Mm-hmm. You're going to get some of that, but all of them are enjoyable. Are fun ways to spend your time. I've only gotten to play one of the blue series thus far. And it was good. Yep. Seems like with the blue series, they're trying to add a little bit more of a RPG element into it yeah. with a level yeah. up mechanic. You have a character that is you in yep. addition to the characters you're sort of playing in the different time periods and you hmm. learn yeah. stuff and add skills. I'll be interested to see how that changes the game because I think one of the things I liked about the white series is like when you open up a box, you just you pick a character for that story that you want to play. Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. This one, I think, is going to have a little bit more consequences to the character that is you and how those mesh with the characters within the story or the time period that you Yeah, I haven't delved into it, but I am aware that there is a pretty strong fan-made group for Time Stories as well who have done their own expansions. Like, I haven't played any of their content, but I've heard good things. Yeah, I will. I mean, you check those out. I've recently been delving into the fan-made content for board games area, and it is shocking how many great ideas. It are is a there. deep rabbit hole for sure. Is anybody else having some deja vu? I feel like we've done this before. And the last one I wanted to mention is another time loop game called Loop Inc. It came out in 2015, designed by Scott Alms and published by Eagle and Griffin. The premise is that you are an employee at Loop Inc. and you are working for Mr. Loop, and basically they have monetized time travel. So it's a classic, you know, go back to the Mesozoic era and shoot yourself a Triceratops and take a picture and then go home kind of thing. So there are different time trips that are available, and on each turn, you're basically taking three actions on the first day, which is the first turn. And those actions may be grab a piece of equipment, attach it to your time machine, go on a time trip, advertise a time trip, which basically means you get dibs on that one and other people can't take it, and that kind of thing. And then then on the second day, you have access to your previous day's time machine and your second day's time machine, and you're taking three new actions. 
but you also have to take the same three actions that you took yesterday in the same order you took them yesterday. They can be the first things you do in the turn, the last things you do in the turn, distributed, basically. You've got those three cards, you need to fit your three new actions in there among them. And if one of your actions yesterday was, I go to the workshop and take a piece of equipment, and today you go to the workshop and there's not a piece of equipment there, then you have created a tear in the space-time continuum and you get penalties. And then on the third day, you have to do your three new actions and the six that you did in the previous days in the same order you did them last time. It's a neat little concept. I mean, the game itself is, it's not dense or super thinky. It's just a matter of sort of optimizing your order of operations. You know, it's a little heavier than a Chrononauts or something like that, but it's still not a super brain burner of a game. I think it's fun. I picked up the Kickstarter of it kind of on a whim. I like the way it deals with time travel and that you're basically having to fit all your future actions in among your past actions. That concept reminds me oddly of the crows in Root, where it's like, right. you yeah, have totally. to do, you can yeah. set some new actions, but then you have to do those actions until you can't, right. at which point and then your everything engine falls, falls apart. apart. Yeah. I don't hate that concept as the premise for a time travel game, because it's like, you can travel through time until your time machine falls apart, and then you have to kind of start <laughs> over again. Or the horrors of playing Super Time Force. You know, whatever, whichever comes first. <laughs> Has anyone played that? Doesn't sound familiar. Video super game time where, first ultra. Yeah. Where you're pretty much traveling from left to right platformer, super mm -hmm. contra kind of game. Right, right. Except you can loop back and join yourself you fighting. You can rewind time, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and create clones of yourself. Sometimes yeah. that is required, especially in bosses. Oh, yeah. But this one's fun. It's got great art. Quan Chai Maria did all the art, and you've yep. certainly seen his stuff elsewhere. Not a huge blockbuster, but I think it's fun. Part of the reason we did this list is because Jason really wanted to talk about this game. So I'm going to talk about this game in his stead, which is Anachrony, released by Mind Clash Games, developed by David Zurchi. Nailed it. Turksy. Turksy. He, ga he gave us Zolkin. No, he didn't, Frank. He gave us Teotihuacan. Close, though. In Anachrony, you are in the late 26th century, and Earth has just had a catastrophe. And you're playing a faction that is trying to survive the catastrophe and potentially set up the Earth for the future that you want it to be. Each of the factions had the ability to time travel. During the course of the game, you can send, you can in essence say, hey, I'm going to take some resources that got sent back to me from the future. And then in the future, you have to pay those resources back. Otherwise, you take functionally negative points because you didn't pay yourself back. And so you've created like a schism in time. In addition, the game is variable length, depending on when the cataclysm that's coming towards the Earth actually occurs, unless you manage to totally avert it. And so you have a capability to kind of mess with the timeline in a very direct way, which does cause a certain amount of... You get a certain amount of control. Like it kind of adds to the time travel theme. As Frank was saying when we were talking about it earlier, he's like, oh, well, hey, getting resources from your future self and having paying them back is functionally like having a banker. But there are a couple other things layered on to kind of give it a okay. full time travel theme. You can send resources back. You can send people back. You can send these frames back, I think is what they call them. Exosuits. Exosuits. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Uh, also available as completely useless and redundant miniatures. Which is why Jason definitely <laughs> owns it. Right, future Jason? I can tell it's like... I've never seen a copy that doesn't have those. 
so we watched a couple of videos just to familiarize ourselves because we haven't had a chance to play it. And it looks like they make the game a lot more usable, right? Because like you slot things into them and like otherwise you'd probably be like putting cardboard on top of other cardboard and that feels like that would be a little niggly. But yeah, the game seems like a lot of fun. I'm, I'm very interested in playing it. It's functionally a souped up worker placement game with some territory control. Yeah, one thing I do like is that you don't actually discover time travel until halfway through the game. So while you can, you know, realize that you're going to discover time travel by the fact that, hey, this stuff starts showing up just when I needed it, uh, you can't actually do anything about sending it back until two-thirds of the way through the game. And then you've got this big list of obligations. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Past me was such a jerk. Yep. (laughs) Why did you need all this? (laughs) The figurines. The completely arbitrary, unnecessary figurines. They look great. Yeah. They have, they yeah. have really great design. Different sculpts for each faction. They, yeah, they look very unique. Sounds like a slight waste of money, but that that's Kickstarter for you. Watching a bunch of the video instructions and playthroughs, the game looks like it boils down to a worker placement with three different pools of workers or styles or flavors of workers. And then within those flavors of workers, you've got a sub flavor of workers because like you've got your exosuits, which you need to power up. But then they can't do anything until you put somebody in them. So there are three to go different, to the capital. Yeah. Right. There are three different types of people. Oh, no, there's four because there's the genius who is the wild. Yeah. And then on top of that, you've got what they call a free action, which is just other actions you can do. And then in addition to that, you've got the several different resource types. Like there seems to be a lot of bloat in the game. From a Kickstarter game with miniatures? I know, right? But, like, even just from a worker placement or a resource gathering game, there's a lot. There's a lot. Which I get, at some level, makes for an interesting game and how those interact. I think this game quickly approaches that level of too much. Yeah, that Euro bloat. I think it has a point salad at the end, which makes me so... I haven't I haven't looked at it heavily because most worker placement games end in a point salad yeah. crap. It's just, I think, a good example of is more better. Sometimes more is just more. Yep. Our real last game is Undo. The Undo series, actually, because there's, I think, three or five of them. There's a um, lot. I think there's, there's a lot. Okay, yeah, I've played a couple of them. This is 2019 by Pegasus Spiele, designed by Michael Palm and Lucas Zack. There are nine of them. Holy crap. You're behind, Frank. Yeah. They're okay. importing them from the future, you see. Yeah. They've been coming out pretty steadily, it looks like, over the last couple of years. I played the early ones, so I don't know if they've added more mechanics. It needs more mechanics. Undo's basically trading on that whole escape game thing. You're pretty much playing it once. You're probably taking about 45 minutes and uh, you're never playing it again. In this case, though, you're solving a crime. Is it a time crime? It is not necessarily. It could be just a nice, normal, or you're solving a situation. Like the first one, you're pretty much greeted with a woman falling off a balcony. Old woman falling off a balcony. That's it. That's all you know. And then a whole line of cards representing periods and places in time. That's it. You get to know, you know, 1941 Vienna or 1200 BC Egypt. And you pretty much choose one and go explore it. Mm. And you're limited. You can only explore a little more than half of those over the course of the game. So within one box, there are several different time periods that you can explore. There's one crime or one situation and a whole bunch of time periods, probably about 20, 25 time periods. So each time period, you flip over the card. I just want to put this out here. 
what I think would make this series of games amazing is if there is some sort of meta plot where each of the boxes interacting with those different time periods did different things. If you look at things in a meta plot and see another plot, in fact, the game is about trying to figure out the plots and subplots Uh. that relate and lead up to the event. Some of those events are in the future, which is interesting. Okay, okay. But you flip over a card and it kind of explains what's going on. It may ask you for a keyword or, you know, some kind of thing you found out in another card. But it generally gives you a choice, A, B, or C. How do you want to influence that time period? And you're scored based on what you choose, positive and negative points. Basically, this choice, how would it influence and impact the current event? But in fact, there are ripple effects in the game abstracted through that score. So you want to kind of learn what's going on in the past. At that point, you've got to manipulate something. I think you've got a couple cards that let you manipulate something after the fact, mm-hmm. after you've gone to another time. Right. And you say, oh, crap, okay, we need to burn a card and manipulate this. Mm-hmm. Something you change might potentially influence something you knew. Like Something you change in Egypt might change something in 1941. Uh-huh. And trying to figure out the potential causal links between those cards, as well as pick up information about what's going on. I'm intrigued by the idea. Yeah, the implementation's a little clunky because really when it comes down to it, at least the first couple games, all you're really doing is getting plus or minus and trying to figure out kind of, okay, there's definite causal links. We should definitely not do that. That would just fuck us. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's interesting. It reminds me a lot of her story, if that means anything to you. Yeah, the, uh, the camera game. Yeah, the camera game where you're just kind of, you know, exploring parts of the story by skipping around randomly. And so it feels like that, except you have to take action and try to guess what's right at that point. I would certainly it's give those a try yeah, if you've got some that you're done with. You get, especially if you get one cheap, go for it. I was going to say, how they're expensive little, are they? They're like 15 bucks, which is a little pricey. The escape games are really engrossing and yeah. feel like. And this is a really fluffy and exact game that doesn't feel as heavy. I kind of wish they would take and box a few of them together. Because yeah, it is absolutely, while you're playing it, absolutely rivetingly compelling. Well, they're currently 12 bucks. So I wonder, like, at that price point, do you think? That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of where they landed, I think, ultimately. Is yeah. it 12 bucks? Compelling, interesting. The stories are, and the links are fascinating. And they have that feel of investigating and tweaking time. Because it is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's actually crafted instead of just kind of random abstracted events. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I might get one of those and take a look at it. Yeah. So that's our board game assortment here. And as I think Mike said earlier, turns out time travel is really complicated. It seems like there is sort of an inverse relationship between how, quote unquote, realistic the time travel mechanics are and how playable the game is. A little bit. A little bit. One of the things I was looking at as part of the prep for this episode was actually an old, old, well, relatively old, a role-playing game called Continuum, which I think is the most accurate, question mark, time travel role-playing game I've ever seen. I also am not convinced it's playable by human beings. You're time agents and you're going through time and it's got all these very detailed protocols that your organization has for what happens if you meet your other self and that kind of thing. But they've got specific rules for the whole Bill and Ted uh, garbage can moment. They call it slip shanking in the game. You basically have your future self provide something that you need. And of course, if you don't do that, there's paradox. And you have on your character sheet, there's a section that is called the yet, which are basically things you have yet to do. And you're just adding all the things that I'm going to go back and do later. And essentially because your character can die once in the course of the campaign and you keep playing them, 
because the idea is you time traveled out just at that last possible second. Sure. But in order to avoid there being paradoxes of there not being a dead body there, the last thing on your yet list now becomes die. <laughs> so you have to go back to that time and die at some point. Oh, uh, that's pretty good. It's all the quote unquote combat with other time people is dealt with causing paradox to them. It's really intricate and clearly very well thought out, but my God, I cannot imagine actually playing it. Yeah. Again, having done Time Travel Tuesdays for over a year now, I'm currently working through a game by the name of Outer Wilds, which I can't really tell you very much about other than go play it. But it has led me to a couple of existential crises <laughs> while playing it because it's that kind of game. Yeah, it's a beautiful little time loop game. Mm-hmm. Time loops are apparently one of the new hotnesses in video games now coming out because 12 Minutes has just come out, which we cannot recommend for various triggery things and fiddly bits. But Death Loop is coming out from the people behind Dishonored. I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. Spoiler from future Brian Death Loop is out, and it's really good. It's a good time to be in time. I do have a role playing game that I'm quite fond of. Mm-hmm. It is Time Master. This is by Pacesetter from the 80s, and they did a ton of adventures for it. They have some pretty heavy restrictions on what you can do in time. Can't go into the future, can never meet yourself. And a lot of them, the published adventures are, you know, one way back, fix the thing, one way forward. So kind of a quantum loopy mm-hmm. thing. But they're funny <laughs> and sometimes alternate reality. And they allow for some of the alternate realities to affect the current timeline. Like one of the adventures basically has you working against agents trying to sabotage Odysseus's journey mm-hmm. so that he makes it home. And they're trying to arrange it so he never makes it home. Hmm. Because that would basically, you know, if he never makes it home. And the Odyssey never gets written. The Odyssey never gets written. And that just demoralizes the Greeks. <laughs> yeah. One of the other ones that is much less accurate in time travel, but is a lot of fun to play is feng shui. Because basically the idea there are a couple key time periods where you can travel between, you know, like 69 AD and Victorian London and the modern day in the far future. And if you get enough control of feng shui sites in a certain time period, you can change the future. So you may suddenly wake up and now the entire planet is controlled by hyper-intelligent gorillas. Like you do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's fun because it lets you play around in different time periods and stuff without actually having to worry about paradoxes and all that nonsense. Yeah. Speaking of time, we're about out of it. Fun fact, if you go back to the beginning of the episode and listen to it again, things will be changed. To find out what, you'll have to listen. Don't do that. What? Oh, Mike. It's a new game plus mode. That's how <laughs> oh, that works. Right. New podcast plus mode? You can mode? get different <laughs> endings to this episode. Yes, it's like Clue, <laughs> basically. Depending on where you downloaded it from, there may be a different ending. So what we're saying is every week, Brian will release a new edit of the podcast for several months. You shut your <laughs> goddamn mouth. Not release a new episode, but replace the original episode <laughs> oh, with, with the, the new, new ending. One. There you go. My favorite is the one where Joe walks in and we're all dead. Ah, <laughs> that's the best one one that's the best one very black adder i don't know what's going to happen in the future of this episode but it'll be fascinating nonetheless we look forward to a future when jason will be back with us we look forward to a future when we're playing more games with that i think we're gonna head here we will hopefully talk to you all again in what some historians refer to as next month so until then be safe play games bye 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 We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. 
Full details can be found at ascentofboardgames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. Welcome, everybody, to Ascent of Board Games, episode 37. 37, right? Stand by. Standing, nope, nope, 38. Okay. Or have we traveled back in time and no, inserted no. this into 37, <laughs> thus creating some kind of paradox where our universe is now destroyed? Thanks, Brian. <laughs>